Well, hello there, and welcome to episode 29 of the Classic Rock Podcast. Those about a pod, we salute you in this episode. We take a trip down memory lane to 1993, the year Brian graduated from university, allegedly. <laughs> we also conjure up a hidden gem or two. And then finally, we take a look at bands that should have been huge, but never quite fulfilled their potential. But we start, of course, with the news. Hello, Brian. Hello, Our Matthew. Podcast partner. <laughs> I almost forgot you there. I just forgot to introduce you. Hello, everyone. It's Brian. Say hello to Brian. Hello, Brian. <laughs> you can't say hello to yourself. Okay, you? fair enough. Fair enough. Sad, isn't it? Hello, anyway. Brian. How are you, mate? I'm very well, Matthew. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing all right. It's been your birthday since we last spoke. It has. It has. Yes. Yeah. Another trip around the sun. Yeah. And I wore, yeah. And I wore plenty of sunscreen as well, too, as you know, because I'm very fair skinned. If I went round the sun, I'd be pink and blistery. So, yeah. yeah. My Celtic colorings. That's not a actual thing. I mean, it's the thing people say that like trip around the sun. It's a new, it's a new sort of. It's not actually. They don't go sunbathing on their birthday. Um, <laughs> it's it's a thing, is it? People say that. Oh, they didn't have another trip around the sun, man. Yeah. I uh, I can't really see see what it meant. It doesn't really make sense to me. Okay. Because you haven't really contributed to that, have you? You just kind of sat on a planet while it goes around the sun. It you is. haven't kind of driven yourself around the sun. Anyway, we digress. Belated happy birthday. Thank you, young young Brian. <laughs> so, what's in the news, my friend? Well, uh, we 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 always like to start the news off um, with some good news. Unfortunately. Um, since the last podcast, we we lost Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters. It's been a uh, been a difficult, bittersweet couple of weeks for the Foo Fighters. Um, losing Taylor, amazing drummer, uh, the heart of the band, as everybody's called him. And if he's good enough to be the drummer for Dave Grohl, well, then he is. Um, He's good enough for me. And an amazing drummer, um, young guy, fifty years of age. The foos had just gone back out touring, Matt. You know, we've we've been talking about lockdown and and the COVID situation, and there was was them in Colombia, getting ready, um, touring, going out to see all of their fans. Probably one of the few last bands that can fill stadiums, and uh, and we lose Taylor. Really sad. Mm. Really sad. Yeah, news. absolutely. Yeah, very sad. Very sad. It was it was quite surreal. Really, I woke up on I think it was a Saturday morning. Was it twenty fifth of March, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, I switched on the radio. And the first thing I heard was, you know, when you kind of half hear something. Yeah. And it said the Foo Fighters, and it was very, very sad and a shock. And I think, as you said, that the thing that it was that he was only fifty years old, which is very young, you know, relatively. So yeah, we send our condolences, of course, to everyone connected with Taylor Hawkins, the Foo Fighters, and his family, of course, who I feel for particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they go and win know. and they go and win three Grammys as well too for, for their last album as well too so yeah it's been a bittersweet uh, f- um, few weeks for Foo Fighters their Foo Fighters family and their fans so uh, yeah. I hope I, I hope that this is not the end of the Foo Fighters I um, they're one of the few great bands that are out there that can deliver 
Their albums are always eclectic. And Dave Grohl is just one of the rock's nicest guys. And, and you know, I, I hope we see Dave back. If it's the Foos, I, I just hope this is not the end for for, for the band and that we, mm. we see them all soon. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. In other news, Brian, yes. what is going on with the Choir Boys? <laughs> that, that's a little soap opera sort of unfolded last week, didn't it? Um, yeah. Despite one of the founding members, or if, yeah, one of the founding members, indeed, yeah. um, of the, of the, uh, of the Choir Boys was fired. Yes. Which is, uh, I mean, not, not, it's not unique, of course. I mean, bands have fired people many times over the years, but, you know, the way it happened, and, 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 and I think the fact that when you think of the choir boys, like I do, you think of Spike. Yeah. And um, it's going to be an interesting sort of dynamic as they carry on as a five-piece. Um, yeah, and... With, and, with Guy Griffin singing. And, so we'll see. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, some t- there's always two sides to a story, and and obviously the choir boys themselves they got out first with their statement around um, you know uh, you know we're parting ways with Spike. We're going to continue as a five piece. You know we've been we've been trying to get um, Spike to formally become part of Choir Boys Limited, etc. And he just wants mm. to be a like a a, a, a cash-only freelance member of the <laughs> band. Which kind of suits uh, Spike, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, uh, you know, a couple of bottles of brown ale and, uh, and 50 quid in my back pocket. Um, mm. um, and, then, and then the fans go into Meltdown going, you know, no Spike, no Spike, no Choir Boys. And venues cancelling gigs because people asking for refunds so you know it's uh the 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 fans have voted with their uh with their thumbs in their emails and then spike puts out his statement um sort of going well you know i you know the the guys told me my services are no longer required but um you know uh we'll, we'll all see him in a bar soon and he may be back as and a, a version of the choir boy. So mm. it's really, in some ways, social media is great, Matt, that we, we keep up to, we keep up to speed with what's going on with bands, but for a much loved British institution that the choir boys is, it's kind of been played out in social media a little bit. And you're going, um, I, I hope this is, I hope this all ends well, because mm. for all the members of the band, they've all got to earn a living. And in some ways, it'll be interesting if the choir boys can continue as a five-piece without Spike or whether they need to get a, a replacement singer in and can Spike put a band together which plays the choir boys material. So, yeah, very interesting. We'll see how it plays out. Yes, indeed. Indeed, yeah. Um, in other news, there's been one of those, you know, you know those situations where a lot of people from different bands come together yeah, and they form what is known as supergroup, Matt. A, a super clanky bar. I forgot that word. I keep forgetting that word. Whenever we whenever we talk about supergroups, I, I can never remember the word. But there's a, there's a new supergroup. Oh yeah, I'm, reluct- I'm slightly reluctant to use that name, but it sounds good. It's kind of a grunge supergroup. Oh really? It's just emerged literally in the last in the last 
day or so. A band called Third Secret. Oh. Not sure where that name comes from. Of course, featuring um, Kim Thale, um, formerly of Soundgarden, mm-hmm. Chris Novoselic from Nirvana, and Matt Cameron, uh, also of um, Soundgarden, but uh, currently of Pearl Jam, of course. Um, might be interesting. A six-piece um, featuring those guys. I've done an album. Um, so they've kind of kept that quite quiet. And then they've announced an album, which um, is uh, is due out in... Well, I don't know when it's due out, due out but I guess it's due out soon. So um, one to watch. Uh, I'd be interested to sort of hear what that sounds like. Because it sounds like it should be... Well, it should be interesting. Kim Thayer was a great guitarist. Matt Cameron's a great drummer. Chris Novoselic, of course, was bass player in the... Um, in the classic Nirvana lineup, so well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's not going to be. It's not going to be pop, is it? <laughs> I don't, well, you never know. It's got. Um, it's got two female vocalists. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so it should be an interesting sound. I'm quite, I'm quite intrigued by that. Of course. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. Will we? Yeah. Um, and also, sorry, I, I'm sort of hogging the limelight. No, a no, it's bit okay. For a change. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Now, you know how much we love an auction on the old podcast? Yes. Don't you, Brian? You remember that? Uh, yeah, we've I do. We've talked about a few auctions over the months. Yep. And um, I heard today, actually, this is half the press, okay. that Kurt Cobain... Again, we're back we to Kurt, are we? <laughs> we are. We're always... It's Kurt Cobain, Kurt Cobain News, episode 76. <laughs> um, Kurt, Kurt, the late Kurt Cobain. His... Uh, his guitar that he used in the Smells Like Teen Spirit uh, video back in 1991, uh-huh. it was 91 or so, um, a, uh, a 1969 Fender Mustang guitar. You probably know know what that is. I mean, you know a little bit about guitars, not much. Just but a little, little bit, bit. Um, not much. And uh, it's, it's coming up for sale later on this month. Now, before you start raiding your piggy bank, Brian, I must warn you, and it's left-handed, so it won't suit you anyway. Okay. Um, but I must warn you, it's expected to go for, are you ready for this? Six to $800,000 for a guitar. I mean, it's just getting, it's getting ridiculous. However, uh, a big chunk of the proceeds is going to a mental health charity uh, called Kicking the Stigma, uh, which is good. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's a good... Oh, obviously a good cause and a good um, a good idea to uh, put some of the proceeds to that that, that worthy cause but six to eight hundred thousand dollars my money's on seven hundred thousand but as is often the case these things often go for more than anticipated so we shall see on that are you interested in that Brian you've got six six or seven hundred thousand dollars kicking around <laughs> just down the back of the sofa yeah exactly <laughs> um, no no it um it wouldn't be my Mustangs and Jaguar Fenders, which which are both guitars which have never been in my arsenal of my many guitars. Just let's say Arsenal <clears throat> in this podcast. There are children listening. <laughs> you never, you've never had a Mustang. I've never had Jaguar. a Mustang. It's not my not not my guitar of choice. But oh, it, yeah, yeah, not no, not not for me. And if I had six hundred thousand pounds, I would probably. Um, Spenders elsewhere on something foolish, like Gary Moore's guitar. <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, talking about talking about good causes, um, 
28 years ago this year, we have now got new material from the reformed, I think it's just reformed for the single Pink mm. Floyd. So Nick Mason and David Gilmore, long-standing uh, bassman Guy Pratt, um, have released a new single called Hey Hey Rise Up to raise money for the Ukraine crisis. So, um, which I think is a, uh, which is fantastic. And it's, I think it's um, number one on the iTunes charts Oh really? Across twenty nine countries. So wow. I, I think I think it's great. I think it's uh, hopefully it's just a one off. It's a one off activity. Um, but as you can imagine, Matt, as with most of these things, once you hear the word Pink Floyd, everybody's out going. Where's Roger Waters? When can we yeah. have the tour? What are we? You know. So I, it's one of these times where David Gilmore and Nick Mason have done something great to raise money mm. for the U- Ukrainian crisis. Can we just leave it there and move on? Or yeah, it, it kind of. I bet you sometimes bands think it's probably like the Robert Plant, Jimmy Page. It's like if they go out and have a coffee, mm. uh, uh, you know, uh, in London, if they were if they were seen together. We'd go into internet meltdown that Led Zeppelin have got got back together. So uh, I'm pleased that Pink Floyd have have got that. Um, uh, Music, new music wise, uh, I know you're usually um, the one hot, you know, hot um, with what's going on in the music. I have a candidate for my album of the year already. And here we Mm -hmm. are in April. Um, I have been listening to the Red Hot Chili Peppers um, new album, Unlimited Love. It's their 12th album. It it was released um, on April Fool's Day, April 1st, produced by Rick Rubin. Um, All of the stars have reunited. John Frusciante is back in the band and the album is phenomenal. It debuted at number one in the US, it's just a fantastic continuation of the, for me, the period um, where you had, you know, Californication, um, Stadium Arcadium, which was the album in 2006. It is just a phenomenal album. It's very chilled. It's got brass, but it's just such a, it's probably, I, I often say this, Matt, and, I, and I'm accused mm. of this, I can get into an album really, really quickly. And, I, and, it, and it's probably the best album from from the Red Hot Chili Peppers since Californication. I love that album. So welcome mm. back to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're playing in the UK in July. Go and see them. There has been um, footage on Howard Stern's show and the band are just sounding absolutely phenomenal. So uh, a good contender for album of the year for me, Matthew. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Very pleased to hear it. Mm. Yeah, I'll give that a listen. Yeah. So. Yes. Moving on. Yep. Last time, if you remember that far back, to our St. Patrick's Day special. I enjoyed that one, actually. It's good yep. fun. The best of Irish. But um, <laughs> appropriately enough, I set you the year 1993 for mm. my year in rock. Um. And as I said at the intro, allegedly, and this is still to be substantiated, because <laughs> uh, I've only got your word for it, you graduated from university in 1993, which I'm quite surprised about. 
exactly. Okay. No, it, it's, mm. I, I will happily go on record to say that I graduated in 1993 from the University of Sunderland. So you obviously started in 1978, which I was very surprised about. <laughs> I was I was walking I was walking along with my Saturday Night Fever and Grease soundtracks as I was walking along. The, yeah, meatloaf meatloaf patch on the back of the jacket. Um, <laughs> of course. Do you know what? I know you went home for your birthday. By the way, changes the subject only yes. slightly. Yeah. Did you does, did you say to your mum, as I have tried many times over the years with my dad, Dad, where's my in your case, mum, where's my, where's my meatloaf jacket? Have you, have you seen it lately? <laughs> I would love to see the meatloaf jacket again. Uh, what happened to the meatloaf? The I, do you know what? I have jacket? no idea. I think I gave the meatloaf. I, I think I gave the meatloaf jacket away to a girl. Did you? I think I did. You're such an old Casanova, aren't you? Yeah, I'd like it back. <laughs> well, I, I probably couldn't fit into it, mind. <laughs> nice to have it though. You get it framed. I mean, nice. Right. Oh, yes, we could sh- we could show it off to our thirteen listeners. Um, anyway, sorry, we digress. Nineteen ninety three. <clears throat> what what was happening for the young Brian in nineteen ninety three? Nineteen ninety three. Um, two. Let's do gigs first. Two amazing mm-hmm. gigs. Nineteen eighty three. Um, uh, I will go on record that I saw my favorite ever gig in 1993 so far of all of the 500 plus gigs i've been to in my lifetime i was lucky enough to see you two on the last night of um zuropa as they called it so they were um they were out um promoting the uh, zuropa album um uh, on the back of the achtung baby tour um it goes down in history as probably one of the the most iconic tours of all time with the Trabants and Zoo TV and the use of multimedia. And poor old, poor old George Bush was getting phoned up every... Do you remember George oh, yeah. Bush was getting phoned up by Bono? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it was like, you know, trying to get through to the answering phone at the White House and he was singing, you know, please release me. Uh, you know, I think, I don't know how he did it, but it was a, a iconic tour, amazing. I got to see him, I was at the front, and to this day, it's probably the most iconic gig, and you two were at the top of their powers. So uh, 28th of August, 1993, I went to see you two in Dublin, and it was phenomenal. Um, on later that year, I was still back in Northern Ireland. Um, this is mm-hmm. where I'm keeping up the, having graduated, I moved back to Northern Ireland for a while. I then went mm-hmm. to see Crowded House uh, in Belfast, one of a guilty pleasure of mine. I love Crowded House. Um, and I always remember that gig, Matt, because um, being the loud fan that I am of Crowded House, Neil Finn shouted out to the audience, does anybody want to hear a song? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know me, I'm always, if I can get plectrums and if I can get anything at a gig, I'm your man. All requests in this case. A request in this case. So Neil Finn shouts up and I'm about 30 feet away from him and I shout out for a, quite a, an obscure deep cut called Into Temptation from their second album. Mm-hmm. Lots of other people are shouting for more commercial songs like Four Four uh, seasons in one day, you know, mm. a single off Woodface, and there was a couple in front of me, and and they 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 were talking to each other, and 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 the girls elbowing the the guy to say, 
shout, shout, shout up our song. And this, this lovely guy. Oh, so romantic. It was lovely. Oh, that was lovely. It was really lovely. And, they, and, they, and hopefully they got their song played. No, they didn't. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Big Voice here, uh, yeah. whenever Neil Finn was putting his ear out to the audience going, I can't hear anybody. I, I, I can't hear you're all shouting stuff. So, of course, mm. I shout with even greater uh, robustness, Enter mm. Temptation, Neil! And, mm. and, he, and he goes, oh, Enter Temptation. And the looks and the daggers from the young couple in love who didn't yeah. get to hear for four seasons in one day. And, and I genuinely, for the rest of the gig, was kind of going, I do hope Crowded House play four seasons one day because mm. it would be really nice if they... And they didn't. And I, I left that gig thinking Neil Finn played a song that I requested, hmm. but obviously a young couple's lovely song wasn't heard. So there's the two two yeah. gigs that stand out for... Do you for reflect on that and think, I wonder whether they had an argument afterwards and then they split up and... and he it's all my fault. Lonely. <laughs> And and it was all your fault. Do, yeah. you, ever, do you ever sort of reflect on that, Brian? No, no, no. I, I think. Oh, I think you should. Do you, should anyway. you just I wonder what happened to that couple. We should track them down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'd be really chuffed to speak to me. If, if anyone knows that couple, please let us know. Exactly. How they got on. Exactly. So um, that was I'm gigs. At- four seasons in one day wasn't well, number one. You know, opening the set. It's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so that was the gigs. That was gigs in '93. Um, my year in rock in '93. What an eclectic, varied year of music that I bought in 1993. So thank you, first of all, for allowing me to have 1993. Um, oh I'm going to I'm going to kick off with. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know whether you can call them a supergroup or a super duo. Um, the collaboration between. It's fine. It sounds great, though. Either way, when you say it. <laughs> supergroup. So the um, the coming together of Uncle David Coverdale. Um, yes. I was giving you the opportunity to do, do, do your David voice, but you. No, I, I, I well, uh, I, I've been asked not never to do it again. Okay, so. okay, fair enough. But so David Coverdale and Go Jimmy. Ahead, sorry, D- David Coverdale and Jimmy Page released an mm. album in 1993. Um, V- produced by Mike Fraser was involved in the production. The band, yeah, the 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 band included Denny Carmassi from Montrose, who was obviously in, uh, who was actually in um, David's the the last kind of incarnation of White Snake. Um, mm. It was just a phenomenal album. The lead off track um, on the album is a track called "Shake My Tree." And it's just, it's like a Led Zeppelin riff with David screaming 1987 era. It is phenomenal album. Um, people were losing their minds in New York. Uh, I, this is when you and I, when I was buying Crying, and I just had this image of David and D- David Coverdale and Jimmy Page walking about New York City together, and people in New York are just going. Oh my goodness, what's happening here? So um, my first album, 1993, Coverdale Page. Check it out. I'll put some tracks on the on the Spotify playlist. It's a great album. Obviously, never followed up. Um, I, I think uh, um, Robert was waiting in the wings. 
Uh, and and Jimmy and uh, Jimmy and Robert got back together and did the Walking Into Clarksdale album, and then David came out, brought White Snake out of hiatus and went back on that. But a phenomenal album for me. One of those, um, it, one of those albums where I would have loved to have had a Coverdale page too. I, I just thought, what a great album all the way through and it's a shame that they they didn't get the opportunity to a tour it and b follow it up so cover your page mm. is the first one mm. um the second album <clears throat> a band that i a band that i loved um and still love to this day uh jellyfish spelt milk um pretty much rock power pop album it is my sergeant pepper stroke pet sounds all in one album um, it's the second and last album from Jellyfish. Um, phenomenal album. It's just, uh, it was released in February. I remember picking it up, Matt, for £2.99 in a bargain bucket in Woolworths in Cold Rain. I remember really? it. I, I remember picking up the CD and going, oh my goodness, it was reviewed in Q Magazine and I picked it up honestly for In the Bargain Bin and it is just a fantastic album. Tracks like Ghost of Num- Ghost at Number One, New Mistake, which was the big single. Um, again, loads of tracks on the uh, on the playlist. Brilliant band uh, for for everybody. And then finally, um, a, a band, a band that I think you would have been a, a big fan of in 1993. This this band, um, it, this was their debut album it was from the counting crows um and it was august and everything after uh, after released in september 93 the lead off track for everybody that knows mr jones and you and i as singers i defy mm. anybody to be able to sing mr jones there is just too many words in mr jones mm. i could mm. i i ducked it for 25 30 years i have ducked singing Mr. Jones, because it's just got far too many words in it. It's a bit like R.E.M.'s It's the End of the World as You Know It. Yeah. Um, so again, 1993, American rock was in that very, very interesting. I know you're a big fan of the likes of Hootie and the Blowfish, Dave yep. Matthews. Pearl, Pearl Jam and 93 were going a little bit more acoustic away from the mm-hmm. grunge. But um, again... 1993, really good to go back and just listen to August and everything after. Um, so night there was 1993. There's so many other albums, Matt. I could, mm. I could have gone through. I loved, um, uh, I loved David Bowie's Black Tie White Noise, Sting's Ten Summer Tales, fantastic album. Even the likes of Duran Duran's Wedding Album, which has got. You know, come on, done, and uh, yeah, just fantastic album. So '93, a great year in music as well as rock. How was '93 mm. for you, young man? Well, no, thank you for asking. It was uh, well, it was good, and I tell you why. Yes, as you asked, <laughs> I'm just getting comfortable. Just getting comfortable, boys and girls, before I tell my story of '93. Two events. In 1993, number one, Diamond Head. Do you remember them? Have I mentioned them at all in the old podcast? They uh, they reformed. Well, Brian Tatler and uh, Sean Harris reformed 
to make the Death and Progress album, which I featured uh, as a hidden gem uh, a few episodes ago. Um, so I don't have to uh, put them on the playlist then? Yes, you do. <laughs> uh, contributions from Tony Iommi. Have we mentioned Tony Iommi in the old podcast? Uh, what was he contributing? Fragrance or guitar? It was in, he was just, uh, just rubbed my moustache against the microphone. Um, he, was, he, did a, he was on a song called Starcross Lovers of the Night. Uh, worked on that with the boys yes and uh, Dave Mustaine's on a song called Trucking so yeah good album check it out Um, films wise the other event of the year Wayne's World 2 We're Not Worthy was um, was released Um, and it's uh, it's well worth well worth watching it's uh, it's uh, it's not it's not Citizen Kane or Gone with the Wind or Schindler's List I admit, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just basically a lot of sketches kind of put together. Um, and if you remember, boys and girls, Wayne has a dream that he meets the, the departed Jim Morrison and a naked Native American guy, naked, native, naked Indian guy, as he calls him, um, and puts on Wayne stock um, in the sort of true Field of Dreams style. If you build it, they will come. And um, loads of stars in it. Chris Farley's in it. Kid Basinger's in it. Uh, the wonderful Christopher Walken's in it. Ed O'Neill's in it, and so on. Yeah. Um, my favourite character, of course, goes without saying, is Del Preston, the roadie that they uh, travel all the way to London <laughs> to uh, to find hanging upside down in his flat, and uh, yeah, he helps to put on uh, Wayne stock. Uh, and all of the training. Do you remember all of the tra- the training? I do. Oh, I fantastic do. film. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> so yeah, go and check out Wayne's World 2, of course. And we talked about this, actually. Um, uh, we're not worthy. You know, that whole thing, with the that's that's kind of entered into the vernacular, hasn't it? That's become a thing. Yeah. Since well, that was in the first Wayne's World film in 91, 2, I think it was. Yeah. Um, we're not worthy. It's become a... You know, we all say it, don't we? And you get people doing that kind of whole gesture thing, you know, all the time. Um, but yeah, Wednesday. So that was 1993 for me. Excellent. Um, can't ask for much more. You can't ask for much more, not at all. Diamond Head and Wayne's World too. <laughs> <laughs> so that. That was 1993. That was a quick whistle stop, stop tour, wasn't it? It was indeed, and I believe at yeah. this, I believe at this point, this is where I give you a year. That's correct. This it's well remembered, Brian. I, it's 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 so smooth, isn't it? The continuity in this show is just. Well, you'd have thought we'd done it all already, and had to redo the whole thing because of technical <laughs> issues on the first version. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so the year, I'll, the year I will give you, young man. And I don't think yes. there was a Wayne's World, Wayne's World film in this year, but who knows? Nope. Uh, 2002, young man. Oh, okay. Well, coming up to date. Mm. Mere 20 years ago. All right. Thank you. I'll take that. Excellent. Um, for episode 30. Episode 30. Yes. Mm. Big 3 mm. Okay. So, moving on. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you and I have often talked about is... Bands that should have been huge, but for whatever reason, weren't. And we thought we'd have a little chat, chat about it now. And we admit, it's a very subjective thing. Yes. Because we've all got our favourite bands, singers, acts, that 
uh, unless you're a fan of the Foos or Metallica or ACDC or, or you know, those gigantic global bands, Guns N' Roses, the Red Hot Chili Peppers you mentioned, in a lot of cases you'd be thinking, why, why aren't these guys bigger? Why haven't they sold trillions of albums instead of thousands of albums? Yeah. And um, it's, worth it, it's worth exploring because the, the, the more I think about this, and we'll, we'll touch on some of the reasons, yeah. there, are, there, are, there are several, several kind of um, points in the road that determine, in my view, yeah. this is all my view, of course, and your view, as usual, yeah. you know, it's just our opinion on stuff. We caveat that. Um, that disclaimer will be at the bottom of this month's podcast notes. Um, uh, th- th- those those kind of uh, forks in the road determine uh, the success of a of a band. Yeah, and um, I know you've got a few that you, uh, and particularly one, of course. <laughs> So we might, might as well get it, get, get it out of the way, Brian. We might yeah. as well get it out of the way. And I have been thinking about this. Uh, mm. Why? It's that question. Why were they not big? Um, so yeah. let, let's, 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 let's. Why were they not bigger? Why were they not huger? <laughs> why were they not huger? <laughs> right. So let's get out the first elephant in the room. Yes. Because I, I can imagine that there's going to be an I can English... I see him behind you. Exactly. He's, he must be very uncomfortable he, in, he in that little studio of yours. The my little studio. Go ahead. King, King's X. I've never heard of him. Can I... <laughs> Any good? <laughs> and, and do you know what? It's, it's, it's a real juxtaposition for me. Because, mm. as, and if you were to speak to any King's X fan, mm. we, we, all, we all want our favourite band to be the biggest band in the world that everybody loves. But there is yeah. a little part of me that goes, I do like the fact that nobody knows about them. That's a good point, actually. And, yeah. and, and, and you know, it's, it's that element of, we've, you and I have been to gigs where it's a bit like when we went to see Adrian Smith and, and Richie Cotson. You're going, mm. for the true Iron Maiden fans, you'll be going, you know, I remember going to see Iron Maiden and the Ruskin Arms, etc. And then yeah. they got big and I'm not interested. You know, I, I won't go and see them in Twickenham. So, mm. so, but, but for me, King, King's X for the variety, for the, for the discography that they have when they came out and the influence that they have on other bands, the mm. cold grunge movement in the 90s, you know, if you were to look at pictures of particularly Jeff Amat from Pearl Jam, Jeff yeah. would be wearing a t-shirt of um, of King's X, Charlie Bonatti out of Anthrax, massive King's X fan, Jerry Cantrell, um, even Richie Blackmore in 1993 um, when they were thinking about singers for Deep Purple when, when, Ian, when Ian Gillen left for the 327th time. Um, uh, Doug Pinnock's in the is in the, the the frame for being the new singer in Deep Purple. So I look at that discography and I'm I'm thinking the band should be amazing. The songs are great. And then I thought, why? And it just got me thinking, Martin. Be interesting with with your bands. I think Kings X were just unlucky with the timing of mm. they were different. The debut album came out in 1980, 1988 and they were kind of grungy, grungy with Beatles vocals. Mm. But we were still in 1988 listening to Kingdom Come 
and mm. New Jersey, the New Jersey mm. tour was, and I think for a lot of people in the mainstream, they're going, I'm listening to Final Countdown and, and Bon Jovi and whatever the other music is. Was there a, was there a new place on the mantelpiece for King's X? No, there wasn't. Mm. And by the time it came to round when their sound would have fitted in the early 90s for grunge, everybody wanted new. Everybody went, oh, have you heard the new Nirvana tune? Have you heard yeah. the new Pearl? You know, Pearl Jam was the new, and King's X were just four mm. years out mm. of being massive. And I, and the, the, in that time of those four years, they were major label so they were on Atlantic Records. And mm. then when they didn't get the big hit at Atlantic Records, then they just, they lose their deal or they get pushed down to a, a little subsidiary of Atlantic Records. And I mm. think timing and being in the right place at the right time on the right tour with the right song, it just, it just it, they missed their moment. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Timing, I think, is yeah. one, of the, one of the key things. Um, but going back to what you said about, you know, not wanting your band to be big. I remember you reminded me actually, I, I, temp the Temperance Movement, and we talked about it a few times. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing them in the back rooms of pubs and small venues. Yeah. And I remember going to see them at the Forum in Kentish Town, which holds about 2,000 people, I think it is, something like uh -huh. that. And I'm thinking, where, where were you in the back room of the pub? You know, you cut, you know, Johnny come lately's to, to come <laughs> see my band. Just because they've been, you know, you heard a couple of songs on yeah. radio, and you can get a little bit of a silly sort of uh, frame of mind to be in, of course, because music's for everyone and bands are for everyone, yeah. and, you know, and so on. Yeah. Uh, but you can get that sort of. No, no, I want them to be to say small. I want to be able to get ten rows in the front, not not see them, you know, on the horizon, you know, in a yeah. in an enormous dot in an enormous dome. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, timing wise, you're absolutely right. And there's there's of course there's the kind of apocryphal tale about. Uh, I think it's either thunder. Or um, or FM, both of which are, both of whom are great British bands, of course. But essentially, their timing, uh, in terms of breaking America, because obviously breaking America for a for a band outside of America and indeed an American band is key to global success. Yeah, um, you know, Led Zeppelin did it. Def Leppard did it. Maiden have done it. You know, it's all hard graft, of course, but it, you know, it is doable. Um, and uh, and famously, they, um, you know, that timing for certainly for FM just wasn't right. I mean, they 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 look back. They looked back in the day in the late eighties and sounded like you know that classic kind of AOR band. They had the songs oozing with melody and hooks and and so on. But for whatever reason, primarily because of the clash with, um, with the, as you say, the kind of the end of hair metal and the kind of, you know, Foreigner and Journey becoming a little less in vogue and yeah. the likes of, you know, grunge and thrash kind of taking over. Um, but yeah, I mean, FM still goes strong. Yeah. yeah, worth seeing. We talked about them a couple of times, but just didn't quite have that... It, the, the, oops, the stars weren't aligned for them to, um, to to conquer America. And the same to an extent with Thunder. I think they were booked on a tour that, you know, pretty much got cancelled as soon as grunge came along. Yeah. So, you know, it is, you're absolutely right. It is, it is quite often about timing. And, and if I can use that, if I can use that uh, British word that sometimes sounds American, patronage. 
<laughs> patronage or patronage. Um, yeah. um, <clears throat> I think if you if you stay stay on the thunder um, the thunder line, I, I the two examples of two British bands, FM and uh, and Thunder, who should have been great. <clears throat> they had a lot. David Coverdale, as you remember, in 1990, had Thunder on the bill. Mm. And at, uh, at Donington Monster Rock. Yes. And and mm. for a lot of people, Thunder have always been the best band that ever opened Donington. That's the popular that's the popular view from, from people, and I can remember listening to it on Radio One. Now, on the back of that, um you're going if 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 David if if David had given them their blessing, and then he was going out on the slip of the tongue tour around the globe, yeah, you you just wonder, did Thunder get the chance to go out and tour on that album? Who I, I think if you get onto the right tour, it allows you to to go to just get that exposure, and I'll give you a great example of this. And this involves Whitesnake. So I can remember when the Whitesnake album came out in 1987. And we all went, this is amazing. This is a great album. And I remember looking at the back of Kerrang! And they were talking about tours. And for the Girls, Girls, Girls tour that, that Motley Crue went on, Whitesnake was a support band. Is that right? White Snake supported, and I can remember. I remember oh. reading Krang going, you know, the, the White Snake fan I am. That should be the other way around, etc. But yeah. they went out in the states in nineteen eighty. Uh, that would have been eighty seven, eighty eight, on the coattails of Motley Crue all through the states. Then, when everybody went, this is what a great album this is. They're hearing it on the back of Motley Crue. You're going out with an American band. They then came back around the next year, headlined all of America, and 12 million album sales later. Now that to me is smart. It's it's getting yourself onto the right tours mm. so you get the right exposure. And to me, FM and 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 Thunder, Little Angels, for example, they just didn't get onto the right tours to get the exposure, possibly in America. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah, very good point. Um, and on top of that, of course, you need the songs. You know, you need you need the um, yeah. you need the songs. And I think in a, in a way, sometimes you often only need one song. Um, totally. For example, uh, Judas Priest. Um, it, it were you know they, they toured America and they they you know they were on down the green with with Led Zeppelin back in nineteen seventy seven and and so on. But they they really broke America based on one song. Back in about 1983, off the Screaming uh -huh. for Vengeance album, yeah. another, you got another thing coming, and that is their anthem, um, and that we've got huge amount of radio play, and then open the doors for them. Um, and it, as you say, it's it's quite often about having a having a breakthrough song. Pour some sugar on me, of course, famously yeah. was a song that kind of sold another five million copies of uh, Hysteria because it was being played in strip clubs, which I've never been to, of course, but I hear there. Um, they they play a lot of music in them, and um, but you say Matt, you make a really interesting point about Judas Priest, and you've got another thing coming, because that's their American anthem for mm. for for fans of early Priest in the UK. 
you would go, the two songs that come to mind for me are Living After Midnight and Breaking the Law. Yeah. So I, I, in some ways, if you've got, if you've got songs which suit the American market, which you've got another thing coming, absolutely hits that mark. And then you've got the, the kind of the other songs, which are maybe a bit more riffier um, and a bit more heavy metal suits the UK. Scorpions. Think of the Scorpions. The Scorpions, uh, uh, Rocky Like a Hurricane. Mm. Uh, that's the, to me, that's part of the big American, the big American hits. Whereas the European audience might be thinking of Love Drive or yeah. the earlier Uli John Roth, Michael Schenker era. So if you've got, if you've got songs, which if you've got songs that work for the various demographics and, and markets, then that, that maintains your longevity. Thunder, th- Thunder are a good British rock and roll, blues rock. They should have been the bad company of the nineties, and they they it just didn't it just didn't happen for. But in Europe and the UK, we 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 love Thunder, and they choose they then chose to go. We're 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 backing out. We're not gonna. We've we've done our bit. We've 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 reached the top of our mountain. We're gonna then back off. Yeah. What other bands then? <laughs> Yeah, well, you talked about bands that uh, are a bit like King's X that are influential, um, but don't necessarily have the the album sales to sort of um, go hand in hand with that. And there are three others that spring to mind. Um, I can't not mention Diamond Head, of course, who are <laughs> probably held up as within the the Nwabam sort of genre, the Nwabam movement, as being um, the band that should have really made it, but didn't, um, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, for example, stylistically, they took a real left turn when they went from their living and borrowed time album through to the Canterbury album, um, without getting too esoteric. They, they had 20,000 copies, uh, that had a, um, a pressing fault, which sort of detracted from it. The songs were a bit too kind of U2 meets Queen for the diehard metal fans. So that stylistically was a bit of a kind of a faux pas. And also uh, at the time, uh, Peter Mensch from Q Prime Management, who um, went on to manage Metallica and Def Leppard and um, help me out, Brian, who else is on Q Prime? But anyway, Queensryche. Queens, yeah, um, you know, huge, well, well-renowned manager. Um, definitely, uh, sorry, Diamond had turned it, turned him down and said, "No, it's okay. We, we'll, we'll stick with the singer's mum managing us. Thanks very much." <laughs> Which, uh, I, you know, when you think about it, is maybe not not the best career move ever. So, you know, there can be bad decision making as well as well as stylistic. Uh, right or left turns, which can alienate a lot of fans. And um, but Diamond Head themselves, along with bands like uh, Venom and Merciful Fate, yeah. you know, often cited as hugely influ- influential, particularly to um, to Metallica and yeah. others, but didn't achieve the record sales. I think the 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 one that really illustrates the point is Motorhead. Now Motorhead and Lemmy. I mean, Lemmy's held up as this uh, you know iconic, godlike father of metal type figure. Um, and you know, is 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 much loved by the Foo Fighters and Metallica and you know, just about everyone. Motorhead themselves only—I say only—in very commas. Motorhead sold fifteen, one five million albums, which relative to Metallica and Motley Crue, we mentioned earlier, who sold have sold in excess of a hundred million. ACDC sold fifty million of Back in Black 
alone. 15 million for a band that is kind of lauded as this, you know, iconic uh, metal band to only have sold 15 million appears to me that they should have been bigger. They should have had more of a kind of a global a global reach than just the 15 million, which is still a lot of albums, don't get me wrong, but relative to the bands that they've influenced, much like Diamond Head, much like Venom, much like Merciful Fate, yeah. King's X, you know, doesn't really kind of correlate. But I guess that's, as you say, it's kind of luck, luck of the draw. The other one which stands out for me and this is another reason why bands sometimes kind of don't reach their potential, UFO. Now, UFO, to me, <laughs> should have been enormous. They were, they were, you know, they made, made it, they made it fairly big in America. They, they quite often were out there with other, like the Ted Nugents and the Rush, um, of the Rushes of this world. Um, but on the back of Strangers in the Night, the, 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 the kind of, if you like, their career high, um, Michael Schenker left, you know, there, there was infighting within the band. Yeah. Um, substances and booze took, ho- took over. And, you know, they kind of, in my mind, never really fulfilled their, their global potential. And one of those bands, again, going back to what I said earlier, very much, very much a subjective thing. One of those bands that, in my, in my humble opinion, should have made it much, much bigger, Brian, UFO. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And you only have to look at the, the as you know, one of my favourite compilation albums of all time is the Headstone album. And when you look, when you look at all of the Splinter uh, groups that have of artists who have been part of of UFO, you know MSG, you know well, members of White Snake, Wild Horses, um, they, yeah, probably at key points, at key real points of that band's career, you can just imagine at the point where I'm I'm going I'm you know when did Michael Schenker leave UFO was that at the beginning of a tour because it just it just makes me think about Thin Lizzy now Thin Lizzy um, again on the back of the Jailbreak album and Live and Dangerous you know the famous Brian Ro- Brian Brian Robertson gets his hand cut at the speakeasy. Uh, yep. So they draft in Gary Moore. Gary Moore goes on the tour. Uh, they're, they're, they're in America. Um, they're, they're in America supporting Queen. And then Gary Moore leaves the tour. And, and you could probably just plot through uh, just mm. key points in a band's career and you go, actually, um, what if maybe could have been would the band have been bigger if key things hadn't happened? And I think with Absolutely. UFO, UFO, it's t- timing is everything. And but but what I find quite interesting is a lot of the bands that we've talked about. Even let's talk about Queen. Queen. F- Queen gave up on America. Mm. You know they that that they try they did do the station wagon and really battered around uh, America as much as they could and. They they were massive around the rest of the world, particularly in South America and Europe, and obviously the UK. And when they what they took a strategic decision that said, if the you know if the North Americans don't love us, we will go and concentrate in other parts of the world that do. And the last band I'll mention and bands that I I thought would have been huge is a little bit of an opposite, <clears throat> mm. um, where this is a band that were massive in. Um, massive in America, uh, which is a band called the Outfield. Uh, mm. Outfield, for years I thought were an American band. 
They were from London. Three-piece band, mid-90s. Um, sadly, uh, two of the members, John Spinks, the guitarist, and Tony Lewis have passed. But their debut album, Play Deep, it is just, it is just classic American AOR FM radio rock. And for two years, they were they were touring with oh, Survivor and Starship and all of, you know, they were getting on Journey, all of the big tours in America. And yeah. within two years, they didn't, they sold nothing in the rest of the world. They never picked up in the UK. And because they didn't have the, the Judas Priest, they didn't have the anthem in Europe or the anthem in America, they just... They just died, you know, mm. and it was very hard. So people might be going, America is the place to be, to be huge. Actually, you can be successful in America, but in the end, if you don't have reach in other markets, then ultimately the longevity of any band is uh, stifled. Yeah, you absolutely. Well, look, we could go on and on and on about bands that could have made it. And I, and I think, as I said earlier, everyone's got their own view. <coughs> be interested to hear from our listeners. Yes. Um, we've already had some thoughts, and thank you very much for those. And if you have any others, then let us know at FGAT Pod or on the old Facebook site, of course. So moving on, Brian. Yes. If, if we may, we- to what I believe, I don't have evidence concrete evidence but I, what I believe is everyone's favourite part of the old podcast um, allegedly is uh, allegedly <laughs> thank you <laughs> and that is hidden ginger thank you Lola beautiful voice that was Lola everyone um, so what you got for us this time Brian I have got <clears throat> bizarrely I have mm. got a band that should have been huge. <laughs> oh, really? Or they may have been huge, but okay. but they weren't huge to me. Uh, so the band, the band in question is Sparks. Oh. Yes. I was, there was two things as a child, Matt, that I can remember of that I was really scared of. Mm. It was the theme tune <laughs> to Doctor Who. <laughs> I was quite, I was quite, I was, and that, that went hand in hand with being really scared of Daleks and really Mm. scared of Cybermen. Yes. Yeah. So, so as a, as a small child, I was really petrified of, uh, of Doctor Who and the theme tune and everything that went with it. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Cybermen, definitely. Yeah. And in an episode in the early seventies, there were shop window mannequins that came to life. (laughs) And for, for years I was terrified, but I was a little small child, of course. But we'll we'll, we'll pick up Doctor Who on yes. for the for those about to pod. We do- sci-fi version, we, sci-fi version, yes. 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 So yes, sci-fi so- offshoot, along with <laughs> those out of pop, the pop sister podcast. Um, we're going to think of a catchy name for those about to uh, sci-fi. Yes, we salute you. Okay. Um, but the, but the second thing that scared me... Sorry, go ahead. Yes, second thing. <laughs> scary. Was, and I can remember watching, you know, the uh, music shows of the Razzmatazz. Do you remember? Razzmatazz yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and um, other programs. Was Ron Meal, who was mm. the keyboard player in Sparks. Mm. Who, terrifying. He was terrifying. His little moustache mm. and the way in which mm. he 
stared at the camera. I, I was I was scared of raw meal. So um, last year, uh, there's a so my hidden gem for um, for this episode is the film called it's a documentary called The Sparks Brothers. It's directed by Edgar Wright, who who did Hot Fuzz, you know, the, 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 the British uh, comedy films, Hot Fuzz, Paul, Shaun of the Dead, and mm-hmm. Edgar is a uber-mega fan of Sparks. So it's it's about Ron and Russell Mail. Um, the documentary, I didn't, apart from this town ain't big, big enough for the both of us, if I've got the mm-hmm. lyrics right, you know me and the lyrics, I get them always wrong. Um it's it's that's the song I know, but this is a band who, effectively from the early seventies right on up until the twenty twenties, has been putting out output, and uh, the documentary's got when you look at the people that um, contribute to the documentary, you've got uh, Beck. Flea from Red Hot Chili Pepper. Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols is just mm. hilarious. They even did a uh, they even did a collaboration with Franz Ferdinand, which was called FFS. I remember it. Yep. Yeah, yep. I'll, I'll leave it out there. Um, the 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 guys, um, you know, Nick Rose from Duran Duran, um, uh, Andy Bell and Vince Clark from Erasure, Todd Rundgren, Giorgio Moroto. Tony Visconti, when you look at the people that Sparks have influenced and who they've worked with, I thoroughly enjoyed the the documentary. I learned so much about Sparks. Um, just just uh, just as a just as an entity, um, and it's just so entertaining to see how a band, the two brothers really continued to work hard and just the amount of material that they did with a degree of humour that's in the documentary as well too, which mm. Edgar Wright uh, brings to the fore. Nick Frost um, and Simon Pegg are actually in the documentary and there's there's a little animation piece, which I won't spoil for, for anybody who watches it, where Simon Pegg voices John Lennon and Nick Frost voices Ringo Starr, and there's a part in the, there's a part in the movie where there's a little animated bit where the two Beatles are commenting on Sparks, and it's really really funny. So it's on Netflix. Um, I recommend if you, even if you don't know anything about Sparks, it's kind of in that. Um, uh, just go and check them out because they they are a band that we all know about. They're a band that's very influential. And I am no longer scared of Ron Mail. <laughs> I'm pleased to hear it after all these years. I remember them actually. I, I mean, I remember them in 1974. Yeah. That's how long they've been going on top of the pops doing this, as you say, this talent big enough for the both of us. Beat the Clock was another good song. Yeah. Um, number one in heaven, number one song in heaven. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Yeah. Good one, Brian. Yeah. Um, well, I've got a boring old live album for us. <laughs> Coming hot on the heels of the last 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 time's live album, and there was a connection actually. Um, so this time, um, my hidden gem is um, a live album from two thousand and seven. Um, may have got missed in the canon of work of uh, Heaven and Hell, um, and this album is uh, live at. Uh, Radio City Music Hall in New York. Now it features the um, 
the classic lineup with Ronnie Dio, Tony Iommi, uh, Giza Butler, and, and Carmen Apice. And um, it's really good. It's really good. It's it features songs as you can imagine from the the sort of Black Sabbath era uh, with with Ronnie. So um, Heaven and Hell album, The Mob Rules, and Dehumanizer, um, and it's good. It's 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 well put together. Uh, sounds great. Um, I can't quite get my head around why Ronnie Dio felt the need to do the crowd chat in an English accent. <laughs> uh, he, he was married to an English lady, uh, so that maybe has something to do with it. Um, but yeah, check it out. Um, Heaven and Hell, live at uh, Radio City Music Hall, um, the album from 2007. There you go. Short and sweet. Fabulous. Great album. I love, mm. I love when Ronnie on that album, Matt, when he's doing the intro for uh, the riff for Heaven and Hell and he asks the crowd to sing it. And he, mm. he says something like, I, you, I, you sang it so well, this is a riff that deserves to be sung again. And then mm. you can hear the audience just really lift it again. He, he, was, he, was one of those, he was one of those front men who could just, he had the audience with him. Um, yeah. What a, what a, and as you say, it's a, it's a live album. There's been many Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell albums, mm. live mm. albums that have been out there. And I think Heaven and Hell is a nice... Uh, it, it's just, it's a nice, uh, probably fitting finishing point for that, for Ronnie's last stand with the Black Sabbath era. Um, yeah, yeah. Good, yeah choice. good point. Good choice. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, that's it. That's episode 29. Yeah, Boom. done. That's it. I've got an idea for the next one though, Brian. Yep. Episode 30. So I went to a gig last weekend. And uh, when it's see Skunk and Nancy. Are they still going? Who, uh, yes, of course they are. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got to see them. People always <laughs> say that, don't they? They're still going. Yes. Yeah, I want to see them. Anyway, they were, they were excellent. If they're out on tour, please go and see them. If they're at a festival or whatever, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. Yeah, Skin, such a great, fantastic front person. Um, down in Brighton, which is probably one of their spiritual <clears throat> homelands. If you're going to have more than one spiritual homeland, but you know what I mean. Um, anyway, while I was there, we were in the seats because we're getting on a bit. See, actually, we're just going to get seat, seat tickets. And um, it made me think about do's and don'ts of going to gigs. Gig etiquette. Now, I know we touched on a few, um, but we were in the seats. And then it, some people in front of us stood up. And I thought, well, did we, did we all stand up? Should they sit down? Should we all sort of, you know, sit down? You know, it's very confusing. Um, and then we just sat down and then stood up when asked. So anyway, that just made me think about uh, gig etiquette. So maybe we can have a little chat about that next time on episode 30. Uh, episode 30. 30. Absolutely. Episodes. I know. Oh my goodness. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought? Right. That was it, Brian. It Thank is. you all for listening. Please come and check us out on uh, Twitter. What's that Twitter handle, Brian? At FTAT pod. Correct. Well and done. it's also our CB handle as well too, I believe. Is it? Okay. <laughs> and also on Facebook, of course. But thanks for listening, everyone. Keep in touch. Be safe. Be good. And until next time. Yes, until next time. And if you are listening to our podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review as well too. It helps out with getting... Um, getting the podcast out there and more people listening to us and we will see you all next episode. Rock on everybody.
Los Matapod, we salute you, is a Maylie Rogers Media Production.